Welcome, Serie A fans, to another episode of the Total Football Analysis Serie A podcast. My name is Daniele Proc, and I'm joined today, as usual, by football analyst Steve Coleman. How are you doing, Steve? Yeah, morning. How are you going? Pretty good. And I'm also joined by professional center back for North Carolina FC and La Liga podcast contributor, Alex Comzia. What's up, Alex? All good here. Thanks for having me back. And uh, last but by no means least, allow me to celebrate the return on the show of the prodigal son, <laughs> Chris Manford, who joins the Serie A podcast after uh, taking a short break. How does it feel to be back, Chris? Fabulous. Fabuloso. So happy to be back with the boys. So this past weekend, Serie A returned to action. Nothing seemed to have changed for Atalanta, who rolled over Sassuolo 4-1 at uh, Stadio Bentegodi in Verona, Hellas pulled off yet another great performance against Cagliari thanks to a 2-1 victory that allows them to, ju- to now just sit uh, one point shy of sixth place Napoli, which means Europa League. And uh, today, on Tuesday, June 23rd, they're going to go face off. But uh, today we'll dive deep into the two other games that were played this past weekend, starting with Inter against Sampdoria. And Steve will tell us how Conte was able to go past Ranieri in Sunday's matchup. Yeah, thanks, Danny. Uh, brilliant game. I thought I thought it was a fantastic uh, tactical battle between two high-quality coaches in their uh, in their respective in their respective teams. A really interesting kind of backstory. Inter led uh, so far in Serie A this season for over a thousand minutes, um, which tells you how quickly they start and how quickly they get in front. But on the flip side of that, Sampdoria have only led for 156 minutes in their games. So if you remember last week, I talked about the fact that they'd only scored six goals in, in their entire first half of, of any game they played so far. So no wonder that there was going to be a, a slow start and, and potentially a slow burning, um, fascinating tactical battle, which, which is exactly what we got. Um, what did you think of the first kind of 15, 20 minutes? Oh, it was a, a great start by, by Inter. Um, and around the 10th minute, we already had the uh, Lukaku scoring his 18th goal of the season. It was clear that Inter was uh, furious about their Coppa Italia loss, and they um, they expressed all their energies. I would say in the in the first half. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they had a goal that's allowed, obviously, in the in the first couple of minutes for offside. Can driver get gets down the side and. Uh, he's just offside as he as he delivers into the box. And I think that was a bit of a sign of the things to come, really. Uh, first 15, 20 minutes, I thought Inter were electric. They they played through um, Sampdoria into the top line so, so well into Lukaku. And even Martinez on the, on the other side, they played into their feet. And once they do that, as we've spoken about with Inter before, they, they get runners either beside, beneath or beyond the ball. And Kaku, especially dragging Collie out of the line to, to open space for people to run beyond him was was fantastic. And it certainly shows that if you can't compete physically with Inter, then then you'll struggle to compete in the game. <clears throat> and I think, uh, you know, you guys have got some some issues with the Samp midfield, but I think when the ball travels past you so quickly and you've got to deal with with runners going left, right and centre, it, it even makes Ericsson look... Um, athletic by by any standards um <laughs> to be honest but his influence in the first 50 minutes as well was 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 magnificent getting getting on the ball in those little pockets of space and the runners going beyond Lukaku especially for the for the first goal for example were were sensational oh the first goal like the pass by Ericsson was just unreal first time pass with his left foot 
just straight on uh, on Lukaku's run, and all he had to do was really uh, <clears throat> beat the keeper on a one v one, what like yeah. yards out. Yeah, I mean, even even before that, with the with the pass from Candreva into Martinez, Lukaku Lukaku drags two defenders with him towards the ball. The ball goes over the top of him uh, into into uh, Martinez's feet and. Like I was saying earlier, the runners then beyond the beyond the ball or supporting underneath the ball are are so difficult to deal with, and you know they even Eriksson's getting in front of um, his defender going going towards the opposition goal, and it's yeah it's fantastic combination played by the two of them to to create such an easy finish. It looks it looks fantastic, but it's it's hours and hours of work in that in that training ground for sure. You, you know, Steve, my my take on it is it, it looked like an NBA fast break is what it was, and they all happen to be. <laughs> Many of them happen to be former EPL players, and yeah, absolutely, uh, I, I'll tell you, they it, it seemed like Samp's defense, particularly their midfielder, it, it seemed like they were jogging in the park, right? Or 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 an NBA All Star game defense. I just was struck by. I'd love to hear Alex's view, but I didn't see any sense of urgency in that in the midfield coming back. And uh, you know, you've got three guys in the back, and you've got this furious, almost like White Walkers in blue and black <laughs> coming at you, you know, these zombies yeah. coming at you and uh, the midfield's jogging back. Alex, did, do you yeah, have a yeah. take on that? I think the second goal sums it up, right? So we talked about Kali getting dragged out. You have to look at the way he his recovery run is, is shaped and then his body position. He does not check his shoulder at all to see what's behind him and what's the tooth guys running into the box they are the biggest threat you know in theory doubling down in a 1v1 out wide it's not that bad of a decision unless if sorry you have cover from your midfielders if you're samp so i mean there one of the keys for me there is is kandreva's run how is it that kandreva is in his own half he plays the ball down to lukaku and then he's the one assisting the goal he runs all that distance, and then the Samp midfielders can't even run half that distance to cover the top of the box. So we can blame Kali individually, but for me, it's just, you know, all the way through, there's, there's a disconnect there, a lack of intensity, a lack of communication, and bad body positioning and decision-making overall. So I discussed I think- this goal offline with Alex, and I think the mistake for Sampdoria begins earlier than that. When Kandreva plays that fantastic pass to Lukaku that... 60-yard pass to him. I think Sampdoria, the Sampdoria defender has to stay closer to Lukaku because what he did, in my opinion, he allowed him to go on a 1v1. For instance, me as a striker, if you allow me to, to get you on a 1v1, that's money. So there, Daniele, I, I disagree a little bit because he has no cover. And you have to look at who he's playing against. Lukaku was going to get there before him no matter what. Yeah. He was not going to get there before Lukaku. And as a defender myself, you know, I want to delay Lukaku. I want him to dribble a little bit so I give time to my, hopefully, in this case not so much, my midfielders and defenders to come back and recover. So in this case, I feel like if he was to get too close, Lukaku could have bumped him off and then the space would have been, it would have been a, a clear run towards goal. So, like, I agree with you if he can get there and win the ball 100%. But if there's even a little chance that Lukaku might touch it before he gets there, I wouldn't go for it. I would have done the same play. Having said that, I still don't think his footwork and his intensity of moving and dealing with him 
was good enough, but I don't think I would have dived in like that. That's just my take. Especially because then he shows him, he allows Lukaku to go on his left foot, which is yeah, his yeah. predominant foot. Yeah. Once and Lukaku then, cuts to his left, he should have stepped harder. Why? Because he's cutting to his left. He's probably going to pass or cross. And two, he has Kali right, be- right beside him. It's two against one. He has, he, there's no point of, of, of staying off Lukaku. You can press him. If he dribbles past you, he has cover from Kali. So. And we know not that. even that. The, the, position, the position of the two of them, the, the job of the centre-back is to defend the goal, right? So right. When, in, right. No, in those wide areas, the job is to protect the, the width of the goal. And they leave, they leave a three versus one, basically, by both of them actually jumping out and defending in the wide area. So I understand that, you know, they might go out and defend Lukaku one versus one, but it certainly, it certainly in that situation, doesn't need both of them to be in that, in that area of the pitch. One of them right. should be in defending the goal for sure. And that's, that's why first, Martinez that's has, got, has got such a, yeah, it's got such an that's easy it. finish because the runner, the runner from deep, all he's doing is helping the ball on, but it's a fantastic pass from Lukaku inside. You know, it's something that's probably not talked about a lot in his game is the little subtleties and, and his little touches of quality around around those areas. But yeah, three passes from from recovery to score is is pretty clinical from from their perspective. But um, you have to give a lot of credit to Ranieri, I think, in this game. I, I think he I think he recognised quickly that Plan A <coughs> wasn't wasn't quite uh, coming off. Um, and it was difficult for them to get high up the pitch. They obviously changed their system in their last game. They played with a with a four four two. This one, they they obviously tried to match up uh, Inter and 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 have a go, try and match up the wing backs and try and get up the pitch that way. But the first half an hour, there just there was just no no chance of them getting out of their own area because Lukaku and Martinez's positioning was very interesting. They spent a lot of time on the outside of the two widest centre backs, so they were constantly pinning the back five in with just two players and. And one of them is Lukaku. It's so dangerous um, for them to for them to kind of step out and try and get forward. So Ranieri at half time. I don't know if you know it's such a big change. He actually went to more of a flat four in midfield uh, rather than a box in midfield uh, like he did in the first half. And straight away, second half, that they got higher at the pitch. They went after the ball a lot more. They pressed much higher, and they actually forced Kandreva and Young back and back and back, and and they got. A, uh, a hold in the game without actually having a hold in the game, if that makes sense. You know, Ranieri tries to control the game without the ball as opposed to with the ball. And I, and I think it made a real difference in, in the second half, for sure. Do you see any, any similarities with uh, um, the concepts that Ranieri tried to apply at, uh, at Leicester the year that he won uh, the Premier League? Uh, 100%, 100%. I mean, they were hamstrung because the main man at the top was pulled out late um, through injury. Um so that that was a big impact. They they didn't have his his threat, but in the first half they tried to play a little bit like that from deeper, and obviously it didn't work with the with the numbers around trying to get around the ball. But second half they they certainly were a lot more um, compact defensively through that midfield area um, to the point where the win back actually a lot of the time wasn't pressing the opposition win back. It was the wide midfield player that was getting out and doing that. Who was the ten in the first half in a kind of midfield box that he was using. But yeah, pl- playing off the off the target man at the top and getting players around him and then just being dangerous from set pieces. I mean, the goals come from a set piece. is a pretty ugly one, really, in the grand scheme of things. But it, it certainly gave him a bit of belief. And I have to say, you know, we're a little bit panicked in the last 15, 20 minutes um, and potentially could have gone either way. But the stats don't show that, obviously. It's 78% to 2022 and you know, I think there was 17 shots into head, but it was a lot closer than, than perhaps the stats suggested. Yeah, and now with the, this win, Inter sits third 
in the table with 57 points, uh, five points shy of uh, Lazio and uh, six points uh, ahead of Atalanta. Do you think that Inter uh, can be satisfied with that? Are they too far to, uh, to compete for the race title or you think they actually have a, have a real shot at it? Uh, I think they're, I think they're happy with where they're at. I think they get, they've got better in every, every game that I've seen them play so far. Um, every week they look a little bit more like Conte's team. Samp, obviously that, that result in that catch up game could have been a real kickstart to their jumping away from the relegation zone, but you know, they're, they're right in the mix now. And if teams around them win, then, you know, they've got a real issue. Yeah. Speaking of a uh, relegation zone, another important game was played this weekend. Torino hosted Parma, and um, while Parma traveled comfortably to Turin, since they were sitting at 35 points, uh, Torino entered the game with more urgency. They were only two points above the relegation zone, and they were coming off of a streak of seven straight losses. Um, and we talked uh, about how Torino has uh, really dropped the, their performance. This game, they, they lined up with a 3-4-3, and they really showed... Uh, desire to attack right away. The uh, coach Moreno Longo started four attacking minded players like Belotti, Zaza, Edera, and Berenguer. On the other end, Daversa opted for a 4-4-2 with uh, uh, one big striker, Cornelius, supported by uh, Evergreen, <laughs> Gervinho. And um, I have one cool to know fact that I'm going to throw into, the, into this, uh, this game. Uh, Parma center back Bruno Alves is 38 years old and he is the oldest center back in the league. What that uh, does add to his uh, uh, to his uh, skill set, Alex? As a what? How how can his experience help out in the back? He's still kicking, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He is. At that point, it just becomes experience, right? Because you don't have the same, or ideally, unless you're. Ronaldo in a few years don't have the same athletic or physical um, performance capabilities. I think there's something to be said about the presence that you have on the field. Um, this guy has, has played at the highest level for a long time and the way he can teach and uh, communicate those with those around him, especially the, the younger players I think is, is invaluable. And I think is why he's still playing at that level and look, for all, we can talk about his age all we want, but at the end of the day, you have to be able to perform and get the job done. And if you're capable of doing it at any, at any age, 17, 19, 39, it doesn't matter how old you are, right? Yeah, and he's a great free kick taker. But uh, let's uh, look at the highlights of the game. Let's discuss them so we can um, uh, talk about how the goals originated. So minute 15, um, after an in-swinger corner kick from Berenguer, uh, Torino center back Nkulu um, scores the 1-0 lead for Torino. Nkulu is a powerful, powerful center back, very dangerous on set pieces situations. So Alex, when you are marking uh, powerful opponents who are dominant in the air, what can you do to throw them off and prevent them from attacking the ball comfortably? Well, it depends. So if you're a coach, you ideally want to put your best headers, your, your powerful players that match up against them if you're man marking. Now, if you have a mismatch, that's a different story. So for example, I'm six feet. I deal with guys that are much taller than myself. So what you want to do is get good contact right away because the idea 
is that they're going to run into a zone, whether it's near post, far post, right in front of the keeper. Once you see, once you notice exactly where they're running, you have to beat them to that spot. That's the idea. You're not trying to, you know, grab onto them or, or trying to fall. You're trying to beat them to that spot wherever the ball arrives. And once the, wherever the ball arrives, you want to get there first. So easier said than done when you have, you know, powerful guys like Nkulu. Um, this guy just needs a flick and that's it. So when you're dealing with guys that are that powerful, you know, what I like to do is just, you know, push them early so that you disrupt their run. And then once you see where they run, you don't even watch that much of where he's going. You say, okay, he's going to go near post for sure. Keep an arm on him. And I'm going to jump first either to put him off. So he can't see the ball or maybe I can get contact with him so that if he does get the header, it's not going to be a clean header. So it's, it's a difficult technique. It takes a lot of uh, practice, a lot of training. Um, you just need to get your reps in. As, as so you're not going to mention all the dirty tricks that you use, like stepping on the striker's toes? I wasn't going to mention that. Ah, you know, okay. I was thinking about mentioning stamp on their toes, but, you know. Can you sign an NDA on that? Isn't, isn't, aren't you bound <laughs> yeah, by Yeah, I can't do that. Fun fact about me, when I was playing um, for Canada U-17s, I played against Costa Rica U-17s in Costa Rica with a Costa Rican referee. And uh, on corner kicks, it was... That horrific. sounds fair. <laughs> it, was not, it was not fair. Uh, with no VAR, with no video review, it was just uh, regular game. And um, corner kicks were horrendous. They were like WWE takedowns. And uh, I got spat on a few times, and I had to keep my cool. So now it's a little different with video, but... Uh, yeah. That only made you stronger, I'm sure. Uh, let's jump right. to minute 30, okay? Kuchka uh, receives a ball after a cutback pass from Gerbino from the left side, the Slovak midfielder finishes off with a left-footed striker. Chris, let's be honest, the shot was not too well angled. Sirigu got a hand on it, but really couldn't deflect it off the goal. My question for you is, uh, was Sirigu supposed to save the shot? And uh, how do you compare that with uh, the save that De Gea, in my opinion, was supposed to make um, in this game against, uh, against Tottenham? So here's my take. First of all, if, if you ask a keeper to make a save on a completely uncontested shot, you know, basically a green light special, that's a lot of work for him. Where, where I do find some fault with him, um, if I were his coach, and I never will be since he's a wildly talented pro, but <laughs> if, if it were one of my keepers, I'd say number one is if someone's coming in that close on the half space, you need to take it take a step or two out and try to cut it off because he's got no angle to the goal. That's, that's step number one. Step number two is uh, basically where, you know, I, I hear a lot about, well, you need to have stronger wrists or you need to have stronger hands. Um, I think that's someone that's never taken an anatomy class before because your wrists have ligaments. There are no muscles on the wrists, right? And hands, if you're a professional keeper, you've got freakishly strong hands because you catch the ball hundreds of times every day. Where I can find fault uh, uh, with him is, and he's, he's 33 years old, right? I mean, he was the UNFP goalkeeper of the year uh, when he was at PSG, right? So he is the real deal. He's ranked 16th. Uh, in and he terms still gets of, called up for the national team. So he's yeah. absolutely so, good. So he's the real deal. But, but he made a uh, just a 
blocking and tackling goalkeeper mistake is you need to be moving forward, right? Your hands need to be moving forward with your arms and your body weight going forward. So if the ball comes off, uh, then, then the ball is able to be deflected off more, right? So that's the second mistake he made is you have to be diving at an angle forward rather than more towards backwards, which would allow the ball to deflect in. The third thing he mistake he made is when that goal was scored, he should have gone to his defenders and chewed them out because they're all standing on the six-yard line watching the ball. And the reality is this, as, as Daniela, your former coach, used to say, spaces don't score goals. People do. Players do. Hmm. And they need to be doing a shoulder check to see where the, where the strikers are, and then they need to be covering them rather than standing there on the six. Alex, you may or may not disagree with me on that, but I, I just feel like as a keeper, you need to, you got to chew out your defenders if they're allowing for these wide open shots where no, I, I completely agree. Uh, I think they were too deep. Like you said, I would, I would add as well is the, the midfield, where were the midfielders as well to cover the top of them? If you're going to be that deep, which is, you know, you probably shouldn't be. Yeah. And say Gervinho was deep enough so that everyone was collapsing on the goal, whatever. As soon as that cutback happens, like you said, everybody should be moving forward, including the defenders, especially the defenders, because that's how you cut off. That's how you cut off the angle, right? If everyone moves forward, but also the midfielders probably could have. I think that, I forgot who was at the top of the box, but he probably could have, you know, cut that off as well. I completely agree. Yeah, and I do think that's the power of the cutback pass. You have all the defenders collapsing on the, on their six. So that's a great pass that uh, is often effective. But let's jump to minute 48. There is a penalty kick uh, for Torino, and it is saved by Sepe. So mistake from the uh, spot by uh, Torino striker Belotti. But I want to discuss the foul that led to the, to the PK. So uh, there is a cross from the right. Uh, Zaza strikes it. Sirigu saves it. And uh, Torino's winger Edera sprints toward that loose ball as he's running a little off, away from goal. He tries to get a hold of the ball and he gets uh, tripped by uh, Parma's defender Jacoponi. Alex, what, what do you make of that foul? <laughs> Stupid foul. I don't understand why you fouled there. It's bad positioning. You never want to get caught wrong side of the ball, wrong side of the player, excuse me. But uh, yeah, stupid foul. The funny thing is when you look back at it, the keeper was probably going to cut out that shot because he was moving forward, as, as Chris was mentioning. He was cutting off the angle. So that was going to make it a difficult shot. Additionally, Parma had a guy who was on the goal line who probably could have helped cut out a shot. I don't understand why he, he made that, that foul. He, he could have tried to you know slide to cut off the angle instead of going directly behind him. That positioning I don't get. And I think the mistake goes back even further. If you look at the initial long ball, that is played to get into a crossing position. I think there he gets caught ball watching and his turn and sprint back into the box is very slow. And he allows, he allows himself to get into a position where, oh, whoops, he's reacting instead of being proactive. Well, the game finished one-to-one, -one, so it's, um, at least it's a positive result for Torino who moves forward. Uh, now there are three points above relegation and there are two teams specifically Sampdoria and Genoa, between them, them and the first relegation slot. I know that Steve have, has, uh, has been looking at the, the relegation battle. What, uh, what should we expect um, happening at the bottom of the table? 
<laughs> well, first things first, I think the game sums up why Torino are where they are. You know, you guys talked about the mistake of the goalkeeper and, and the missed penalty, but the, the chances that they missed to win this game are criminal. There's no way this game should finish one one each. You know, even notwithstanding the goalkeeper error, it should it should be comfortably Torino's three points. You know, Palmer were pretty poor, but uh, they'll be pleased with the point. So, it, yeah, extraordinary, extraordinary that they're performing so badly. They're, they're my pick to go down, Torino. I think the I think the teams around them are, are performing better than they are. You know, they got their first point in seven games, which you know is a, is a big thing, maybe. But they'll be they'll be looking at that more that two points were dropped in that game for sure I think so um, yeah it's interesting interesting run-ins I think they have a, they have a couple of couple of tough ones coming up uh, and yeah they're my pick to go down I will I will add that you know if you look at the XG of uh, you know he's had 157 shots taken on him and he saved 46 of those and he had expected goals of 54 so that's a swing of eight goals. So imagine if those eight goals were added to basically him doing what he was supposed to do. They would be close to the bottom of the table, if not next, next to the bottom. So yeah. my take is he single-handedly kept them up above the relegation zone. I don't know if he's going to be able to pull that off for the next seven or eight games. And yeah, that's they, why concede, they concede 14.7 shots per game, I think, off the top of my head is, is the number. Um, and you and you just can't do that. You yeah. can't do that against good sides. No, no question. And Steve, you talked about how Torino struggles to score. If there are two sides that really d- do not struggle to score, they are Atalanta and Lazio. They are the mm-hmm. uh, two best attacking sides in Serie A, respectively, yeah. with seventy-four and sixty goals. And yeah. they will go face off this Wednesday at the Stadio Atleti Azzurri d'Italia in Bergamo. Kickoff at 8.45 p.m. UK time. And uh, Lazio is going to line up with uh, the classic 3-5-2. I'm going to he- highlight here uh, Acerbi, the center back. He's having a great season. Number 10, Luis Alberto and the coach and um, striker uh, Ciro Immobile. Lazio can count on the league's top scorer, Immobile, with 27 goals. And uh, the assist leader, Luis Alberto, with 10 uh, the reason why I highlighted Acerbi is because um, this center back, he survived uh, testicular cancer twice in his life. He's now 32 years old. And uh, there is a very cool TFA piece in the June magazine that I suggest you all go check out. It's about the story of, of this incredibly strong center back. Uh, he has been recently called up again in, in the national team by, by Mancini. Uh, Alex... I know you like him. Uh, what is uh, what is the best quality that you admire about uh, Acerbi? Well, as you mentioned, mental strength. I mean, that is first and foremost on and off the field. That translates into the whole club, into the whole organization, and especially the players. Um, you know, I can just imagine if I was playing next to him, how much more I, I'd want it. Um, just just for what he's gone through. Um, but specifically, you know, he reminds me of a a left-footed PK type of style, right? He's so, he's so good technically. He's, he's, he's very strong physically, but it's almost graceful. You know, it's not, it's not like in your face tough. I feel like it's very graceful, very thought out. It's like he is tough, but it, it's, it's well-timed. And I, I really appreciate that as a center back as well. Uh, amazing left foot, great distribution. Um, playing in a back three is, 
is, is, is great for him because he plays centrally and it allows him to step hard on attacking midfielders and forwards that come into the pocket. And I think he really likes that. He likes playing with players in front of him so he can make those, those challenges and, and those tackles. So exceptional player, uh, very, very smart. And, and um, I'm, I'm glad to see him doing so well and Lazio doing so well this year. And uh, he's not the only leader for Lats in the back because uh, even goalkeeper Strakosha, he's having an incredible season. And uh, Chris, I know you're dying to highlight his uh, performances. He made our pre-COVID team of the year a few weeks ago. Chris, what has set Strakosha aside from the other Serie A goalkeepers? Well, the Albanian national is 25 years old. He's got over 2,500 minutes which means he hasn't had time to even run off and go to the loo. He's so busy uh, defending that goal. He's conceded only 0.83 goals per game. And he's worked his, his way up Lazio during the last five years, from third string to Loney to first string. He is the prototypical goalkeeper for Serie A. Big frame, 6'4 and above, 193 centimeters for the rest, rest of the world. But what, he's surprisingly agile for his size. He's the modern-day keeper, equally comfortable with kick saves and drop dives to his sides. And it's really hard to find that combination. Uh, when I go down to Buenos Aires and, and La Plata, um, you know, uh, Alejandro Cortizo, who's the uh, goalkeeper director for Estudiante, says that's what, that's what they're all shopping for, is six-foot-five six keepers that can play with their feet, right? So Thomas is the benefit of a first-rate defense in front of him but he's pulled more than his weight. He's allowed a league leading um, of only 23 goals on 111 shots with an XG of 29. So he's kept an extra six goals um, out, of, um, out of the net, which is more than 20%. What I li like most about him is his timing and maturity. He's got crazy reaction speed, no question about that, but he anticipates so well and is often on the ball before strikers are able to settle. This maturity should come as no surprise, though, because his father was also a professional keeper. I imagine the father-son trainings and the dinner table talk prepared him well, technically and tactically. He will be a difference maker coming down a very difficult stretch with matches against Juve, Atalanta, Verona, Napoli, and Milan. So, uh, you know, he's, he is the real deal. He already rates in the top 10 goalkeepers in the big five leagues and he's going to become a sturdy fixture in international football going forward yeah and Lazio has uh, as you mentioned the best defense in the league and the uh, second best striker let's look at Atalanta they're gonna line up with a 3-4-2-1 the the wingbacks will be Atabor and Gosens incredible work from uh, uh, these two players so far this season and uh, I want to highlight that Atalanta um has three of the top seven goal scorers in the league. I'm talking about Ilicic. He has 15 goals and zero penalty kicks. Um, and then Muriel and Zapata, they both have 13 goals. But Atalanta manages to score with uh, almost all their players. So the wingbacks, the wingback Gozens has seven goals so far this season. Midfielders, Deron has one. Freuler has two. Uh, the defensive line that's going to start against Lazio, Palomino, uh, Toloi and Jim City, they all have scored already. Captain Alejandro Gomez has scored six. And of those featuring on Wednesday against Lazio, only Atebor 
hasn't found the back of the net yet. But as the Valencia fans can remember, he scored a brace in the Champions League run of 16 back in February. So he knows how to attack the space with the, with the far post uh, run. Um, you know what I'm going to expect? I think that I'm going to throw in some cool to know facts here. So Lazio has the highest uh, rate of PKs in favor uh, this season. They have been awarded 14 penalty kicks and the league average is six. That's, that's also helped uh, Immobile because he scored 10 penalty kicks. Um, so what I think we should expect from this game, it's going to be uh, a great game if you guys want to learn how to properly play with three men in the back. Uh, it will be an open game, high intensity, and I would say it's the best matchup you can currently ask for in Serie A for entertainment, quality of the game, and, uh, and tempo. If I were to go on, on a limb and uh, predict the score, I'll go with a 2-2 score, braced by Mobile, one of the goals coming off penalty kicks. And then I would say Atabor scores his first Serie goal. And then we're going to see some magic by the Grandma, Ilicic, maybe with a curler on the, on the, with his left foot on the, on the far post. What do you guys think? What do you expect to see? in this game you need to get off the fence (laughs) (laughs) Um, so you're saying there's not going to be a winner in this one oh okay now I'm going to say 2v2 because I do want to see a lot of goals and uh, a great show as as these teams have have always uh, shown mind that Lazio uh, are able to Perform greatly in the in the first half. They have put so many games to bed in the first 45 minutes of the game, uh, but I don't think that's going to happen against Atalanta because their rhythm, their intensity uh, have been consistent uh, for for 90 minutes. Um, I and the top three look the top three of uh, of Lazio. Uh, they will play with uh, Luis Alberto as a 10, Caicedo and Immobile as as strikers. They have combined 39 goals. And the top three of Atalanta, which will be Gomez as a 10, and then Ilicic and Zapata, they have 34 goals altogether. And we also can expect Muriel coming on the second half just to add to Atalanta's offensive threats. So we say a lot of goals, and I'm going to go with, uh, with a 2-2 because uh, as a non-fan, I just want to see, to see some show. What, uh, Alex, so we, we talked about how both teams play with three in the back. What's uh, what's what are the main differences in playing with three versus versus four? Depends how you play the three, because sometimes three is actually five for a lot of teams. Um, so if you're playing three the way I know it, it's a lot of horizontal shifting. You know, the three um, go back to the left, back to the right, because they have to cover more space. What's nice is if you have the the fullbacks, wingers, whatever you want to call them, out wide is if they're good at covering, it allows those three to step. And we talked about that with the Cherubis, to step really hard on the attacking midfielders and the, and the strikers, which you know I love as a player as well. So three in the back works well depending on the personnel you have. You know, some, some, 
some teams like like the four, the two center backs, um, because they like those players to you know really stay on the right side, or the right center back to stay on the right side, the left center back to stay on the left, and they they don't you know shift over as much horizontally. Um, but it all it all depends. I've I've been a part of both systems, and it depends on the personnel you have. Steve, since you guessed right the last uh, the last game, and I know you texted me personally about it, <laughs> give me. Give me, give me your uh, your scoreline here. Uh, well, I think watching the Atalanta game over the last couple of days, they were so dominant in in that first game, that catch up game. I just think they've got they've got so much creativity in that top line. You know, they create space for Gomez to to dominate uh, high up the pitch. Zapata is so clinical. Um, you know, in, in the right areas. Um, I, I think they win this game. I, th- I, I think you're right. There's, there's goals in it for sure, but I, but I think they win the game. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they've scored now 78 goals, I think, in the league, and I, I think they're they're rightly the most dangerous team uh, to defend against. I think if they're going to play with both teams, play with three against two two front men, I think that will be an interesting battle um, dealing with dealing with the different threats that b- both teams have. But yeah, I think Atalanta win, and I think they win three one. If Atalanta win, then uh, the title race could that Juventus may widen the the gap for for the title race because right now Juventus uh, is standing one point above Lazio, and uh, Juventus uh, is playing actually right now as we are speaking against uh, against Bologna. So uh, Lazio really cannot afford dropping points. But uh, Let's switch to another game of the weekend. We're going to have uh, Milan against Roma. It could be the last chance for these teams to hop on the Europa League and Champions League trains, respectively. Steve, what uh, should we look for in this, in this matchup? Well, I think from, from Milan, more of the same. Um, you know, I, th- I think that you're going to find that, that, that they're going to be, they're going to be dangerous from... From um, from central areas, I think if if Ibra if Ibra continues um, to to, uh, to dominate though, that kind of pivot point at the top, um, he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna play in the game. Do you think? We don't know yet. It's uh, he's question marked. Right. Okay. Still question mark. Well, if he does come back in, I think that makes that makes a big difference for them. Um, you know, I, I think it's I think it's an interesting an interesting game. I, I think that Roma Roma obviously. Being, being so, so, um, so dangerous in those in those central areas, I think it, it creates a very, very interesting midfield battle for sure. Um, and I, I don't see a winner in this one, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I think it, I think it's got stalemate in it. I, I think it's got, I think it's got not nil nil, but maybe one or one or kind of kind of uh, situation to, for sure. Yeah, Roma is standing kind of in a no man's land there are 45 points and there are six points uh behind atalanta and seven points above napoli yeah so they we can say that they have secured um a europa league spot um i don't think they really have any chance um in trying to get to champions league right Um, no I, i agree with you on that it's one of those games where the season's winding down and Potentially, people are pretty comfortable with where they're at, and you know it's it's one of those games that, yeah, there'll be a little bit of action, but it'll be a a game that doesn't carry much weight on, on either side, I don't think. Yeah, and they see Milan have their last chance probably to uh, to try to make it to the Europa League, 
especially if we, if they try to attract big players, they at least have to play some kind of <laughs> European competitions. Um, before we wrap up, uh, Steve has a cool quiz for us. <laughs> put together some data and he's going to test us on our knowledge about Serie A. Go ahead, Steve. I'm all ears. Yeah, we're not we're not quite at the stage where we're going to have a new um, a new segment for a quiz each week. But um, I just got some some interesting information around um, teams that are performing where they should be, or underperforming, or over overperforming based on the x points, um, which I know is very close to Chris's heart. So just just out of interest, um, as a bit of a, a bit of a pop quiz, who do you think the most overperforming team in the league are right now, according to the x point? Atalanta. AC Milan over overperforming. Yeah, I'm gonna go with the Juventus. <laughs> okay, what what makes you what makes you say those those teams? Bec just a feeling. I I feel like they haven't really played great. I feel like the ideas of Sari haven't been really implemented in the team, and uh, so I'm thinking just that's just a feeling as a as a football fan. I, I I agree with that. I mean, if you look at the goal differential, Juventus and Inter have more or less have the same goal differential, uh, but there's a there's a six point difference, right? So uh, I, I'd say Juventus as well. Okay, interesting. So What's all the of answer? the top three are overperforming. So everyone in the top three is overperforming, but Juventus are overperforming by sixteen point seven points. Wow, let's go! Cool. How many? How many? Sixteen point seven. Wow. So if they if they were at where they where they should be according to according to their their x point, they'd have forty six points, which would put them in fifth position. Whew. Wow. You know what? That comes down to. Uh, winning teams is just win the game. You know how many times have we talked about I, it? How I think a lot of it comes away. down. It comes down to luck too. I mean that to me, it's just if if we yeah. run this simulation another thousand times, I think Juventus is not in first, and Inter could be in yeah. first, right? I mean, and potentially the Ronaldo factor. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so so interestingly, just in that top half of the of the league, there. So Atalanta are actually underperforming too. But they're under underperforming by six points. So according to where the league is now, they could be third. But if everybody's X point were actually where they should be, they would be top of the league right now. It makes sense with those offensive stats. You would expect them to uh, to be yeah. higher than than fourth position. Yeah. But, which but is why which is why I picked them to win to beat Lazio because when hmm. you, when you expect them to to do something that they should be somewhere closer to where they where they should be at some point. But but Steve, this is where I have a little disconnect. Um, Golini, um, yeah, uh, he's six foot four, perennial kind of typical city keeper. But he's had given up thirty one goals on just eighty one shots with an xG of twenty seven. So he's actually mm -hmm. done worse than what you would expected. But what I can't get my head around, and and that's to be you know, there things change. The 81 shots, I don't understand how Atalanta has such few shots against him. He's played over 2,100 minutes, too. Mm. Any thoughts? Is, are they, do they high-press a lot? Is, do they face a lot of 1v1s? Or any, any thoughts on that? And I'm trying to reconcile that with the performance. Yeah, I, I can't believe you didn't mention Galini earlier. I thought he was outstanding against Sassuolo. I, th I thought he kept, kept uh, the, the score at zero uh, long, long before they kind of pulled away towards the end. Um, yeah. I thought he made three or four really good saves. 
well, it's, it's an interesting stat. Yeah. I didn't I didn't know about that, but I I think I wouldn't I wouldn't call them a, a massively high pressing side. But their counter pressing is is something that that is that is theirs for sure. Mm-hmm. But um, I think with their with their over attacking nature, I think they probably give up. They give up certain things that perhaps they should, they wouldn't do if they were a bit more defensive minded, like like some other teams playing with a back three or a five. Well, I, I'm just struck by they've given up so few shots, but the shots they did give up, they gave mm. up a higher percentage of goals. Yeah. That's that's the way I unpack it. Yeah, that's interesting. So just on just on the, the kind of back to the X point, the the who who do you think the biggest um, underachievers are? I'm not gonna cheat. I know the answer, so you guys uh, throw some <laughs> random uh, names out there. Well, I would have said AC Milan, but uh, same. No, I was thinking Milan. Milan. <laughs> okay, we'll come. We'll come to them shortly. We'll come to them shortly. <laughs> so the so the bottom two, uh, Brescia and Spal, are underachieving by nine and nine point seven points mm-hmm. so far. Uh, but Sampdoria are the biggest underachievers mm-hmm. in the league by eleven points, based on the X point right now. Hmm. You know what, Sampdoria really are risking to relegate. Um, that that makes sense, uh, but in, I, I cannot see I cannot see such a such an important team uh, in Serie B next year. I, I don't. No, see it. Let's hope not. Let's hope not. <laughs> um, but interestingly, Roma, AC, Verona, Udinese, and Lecce are all within one point either side of where they actually should be right now. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So I know that AC they have the worst expected goal, um, the difference between expected goals and goals. Mm-hmm. So they should have scored something yeah. like ten more goals. But you're telling yeah. me that they should have uh, plus or minus one yeah. points of what they have right now? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I think they, I think right now. <laughs> uh, let me let me just check for you. So yeah, they're they're currently thirty six points, and their X point is thirty six point nine before today's game. Daniele, there's a 9 p.m. flight from uh, from RDU to Milan. You can be ready for uh, for the game this weekend. Exactly. That's <laughs> why I'm strikers. Gonna, they need strikers. That's why I'm gonna wrap up the show. I have to go, guys. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Thank you, uh, thank you, guys, for tuning in. Thank you, Steve, Alex, and Chris, for your perspective. I always appreciate how you guys break down the technical and tactical side of the game. All we have left to do is sit back and enjoy this week full of uh, Serie A games. We will be back next Tuesday with uh, another episode of the Total Football Analysis Serie A podcast. Ciao.